If you're new here today, a special welcome to you. And one of the things we've been doing, we've actually been spending actually almost about a year now going through the book of Mark, the Gospel of Mark. We've learned a lot, and we're kind of coming up to that end where uh, he's heading into the, it's the Holy Week, and right before the resurrection, so things are getting intense. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 13 this morning. But I want to announce one other piece here. A week from tonight, 6 o'clock here, we're actually going to be in here next week, we're going to have what's called the Leadership Learning Community Gathering. And we're, we've been uh, walking through a book. It's called Lasting Impact. And if you want to be a part of that, and to, you can catch up and read a couple chapters. We're going to be on chapters 4 and 5 next Sunday night. And one of the chapters in that book, this book here, Lasting Impact, is the question, why are uh, young adults walking away from the body of Christ and walking away from the church. That's going to be a part of that discussion as well. So if you'd like to still be a part of that gathering at the, at the um, Welcome Center, my wife will be out there after the service, and we have a couple books there if you want to take one and be a part of that with us as well. But in light of that, this idea of why young adults are walking away from the body of Christ, I want to read an article because it has to deal with millennials. And this is from the New York Times, about a year old or so. But it's going to weave its way into our sermon here this morning. Today's young adults, born after 1980, known as the Generation Y or the Millennial Generation, are the most educated generation in American history. And like the baby boomers, one of the largest. Yet since the recession of 2008... Uh, they have been having a hard time. They're, they're facing one of the worst job markets in decades, and they are in debt. Many of them are unemployed. I have to say that you hear about the numbers of young adults that are living at home, which is really true. The income gap between old and young and Americans is widening. And it goes on to say this. Do we, uh, do we have a lost generation on our hands? In our classes among peers and through our research, we're seeing that millennials are not so much a lost generation, but as a generation in flux. Chastened by these uh, tough economic times, today's young adults have been forced to rethink success so that it's less about material prosperity and more about something else. And what is this something else? Many researchers believe that millennials are focusing more on happiness than prior generations and that the younger ones in that age cohort are doing even more than the older ones who did not take the brunt of the recession. Rather than chasing the money, they appear to want a career that makes them happy, a job that combines the perks of Google with the flexibility of a startup. But a closer look at the data paints a slightly different picture. Millennials appear to be more interested in living lives defined by meaning than by what some would call happiness. They report being less focused on financial success than they are on making a difference. And then it went on to define what that meaning actually, what they're talking about there. Social psychologists define meaning as a cognitive and emotional assessment of the degree to which we feel our lives have purpose, value, and impact. 
And as I pondered that, and being a bit older, I had to kind of scratch my head and go, okay, wait a second. Is this not also true? We that are a bit older, if we can think back to those years right after high school, there was a time of great pondering. I, I, I can even picture myself. Of, I was trying to decide whether I should go um, follow my dad's steps and be in a, do a construction, or uh, if I wanted to be, I liked education. I was leaning toward becoming a teacher at that point. But the question really was, there was a, a question in terms of purpose even back then. Now, it's possible that if we think back, some of us can't remember that far for some of us that are a bit older. That might be true. But here's where, as a Christian, I need to press a theological lens on this issue. Because I believe this, within the hearts of people, there is a battle going on in almost in two different areas that compete with each other. On one side, there's the area of, I want to make a difference in this world. I want to have meaning and purpose in this world. But the other side, there's this desire within us that also says this, I want the world to be centered around me. I want comfort. I want ease as well. And understand where that desire comes from we have to acknowledge that there's a flesh there's a a depravity within all of us that wants to pull us toward the self and yet on that other side is that we we are a people that that says this what i'm doing i want purpose and meaning in that so i suppose those two things battle each other in inside of our souls deep within our souls but in light of that i need to put up a question Really, for everybody here today, whether you're 14, whether you're 44, or you're 74. And and this question, I'll I'll warn you, I I use this actually in counseling quite often. And I've even hit guys where they're kind of in that, they hit that midlife crisis point. And this question actually plays into that. But the question here, where do you, where do you find meaning or purpose in your life? If you ponder that, what is the purpose of this world that's centered around you today? Now, I'm going to circle back to this issue, and we're just going to set it aside for a few minutes, and we're going to jump into the text because last week we saw Jesus gathered his disciples on the Mount of Olives, and he's having this last kind of teaching time with them, the discourse here, and he's talking about the future. And he reminds them that he is coming back. And this is where we're going to pick it up in verse 24. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. Now we just need to stop here and just dig just a second here. You notice the phrase, after the tribulation. Here again, in those days after the tribulation. Now is this pointing to the time of the disciples coming for the disciples Or is this going past the disciples toward us at some point in the future? 
And, and you understand that debate as to which really plays into what view of the end times you actually uh, hold on to. But I do believe this, that I believe there's a telescope that goes beyond just the disciples. It applied to the disciples, but also it went beyond them to, in, in the sense of this. But the reality is this. The world is not getting better. The world is cycling down into greater depravity, greater sin. And at some point, God, who is not just idle here, he's not up there just kind of going like this with his thumbs. He is waiting for the right time. And he is going to say, enough is enough. And he's going to come back. See, we can be guaranteed of that. That is, he's talking to his disciples. He says, guys, I'm going to be coming back at some point, And it's going to be with power. And it's going to be with great glory. But the challenge for us. Are those days coming for us? And I believe they are at some point. But how do we respond to when culture seems to be spiraling down in a direction that we don't like. Let's keep reading. Look at verse 28. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see these things take place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Jesus brings in a quick illustration of the fig tree, meaning that it was starting to flower, which means fruit is going to be coming on that tree. Something is happening. Change is happening. And he's uh, uh, overlaying that way with the future of saying, change is coming. And I'm coming back. History is going to come to a place where it's going to be close. And then the end will come and I'm going to return. And there's going to be this final climax of history where Jesus Christ appears. Now, you understand, I'm not touching the rapture and where that fits in here. That's not my intent today. You're going to have to dig that on your own a little bit. But we have the reality that Jesus is coming back. And there's going to be signs, it says, in the heavens are these symbolic. I tend to believe that there's more than symbolism here. There's going to be some kind of uh, cosmic events that are going to be upset. Maybe what, what in terms of earth or solar system, who knows? But when you see things moving in those directions, we recognize that God and the Lord is drawing near. Now, but is it close for us? I don't know. I don't know. But let me just keep going and look at verse 32. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Yeah, understand what that speaks to is that Jesus, while he was on this planet, he, he had to set aside some of his authority, his power, his, his providence, his, his sovereignty in order to become a man. And there were things that the Father did not reveal to him. And, and just frankly, it shows his humanity, him being a man like us in that sense. 
So he was limited. He didn't know the hour that God had appointed, his father had appointed in time. Well, let's keep going. Look at verse 33. Be on guard. Keep awake. For you do not know when the time will come. It's like a man going on to a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeepers to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know when the master of the house will come, and in the evening or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Now here's where I need to go down a path this morning. Because the reality is that we get caught up when you think of the end times and Jesus coming where we want to keep focusing is on the question of when. When is Jesus coming back? And if you go to the Christian bookstore, you're going to find that's where the money is made, is dealing with the when. But I believe that in this particular chapter, that really isn't the key issue. It's not when. It's a different question. And if you're following along in the sermon notes, I said it this way, the key question. Jesus is coming back, but it's the so what. So what then are we to do in light of that? And the answer to that, because of Christ's return, we are called to live differently. Jesus is coming back. And we don't have to worry about the when, but the challenge is, what do we do in the meantime for our own lives? We have the knowledge, we have the word of God saying, he's coming back. But then, so what? How do we apply that? Well, here's where i got to point something out of why I think it's so important in this text of understanding it's really not when, it's, it's a different question. Look at verse 5. This is back from last week, and Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Here's a warning, an exhortation. Hey guys, be careful. There's going to be people coming that are going to try to say that I am the Christ and they're going to potentially could lead people astray. So there's a warning, but even that next one there, look at verse 9. Be on guard, a second warning. And then look at verse 23 again in this chapter. But be on guard, again he tells that. I've told you these things beforehand, but be on guard. But then look at verse 35 where we've already covered. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know when the master of the house will come. Verse 37, and what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. See, these warnings, understand they were directed at the disciples, but I also believe that the telescope went past them and to us here today. This was written for us. These five warnings apply to our lives. Stuff is coming. Be ready. But you go, practically, what does that mean? What does it mean to live differently in light of Christ's coming and his return? Well, let me give you six that I came up with. These aren't even comprehensive, but I think this applies to us here today. Number one, this first warning I think is this. We must always be conscious of staying away from indifference and complacency. Stay awake. 
Some of you stayed up really late last night. Stay awake today. Okay, but we understand this isn't literal, as Jesus states this. This is about staying awake. Don't become indifferent. Don't fall into complacency. Now here's where I've got to add a little illustration here. From the same discourse, from the same event, Jesus gives actually more information of what he said in Matthew chapter 24. And look how it reads here. He gives an example of Noah at the time of Noah, at the, at, it, from, as Matthew records it. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. These people back then, Noah is building an ark. Signs of something is coming. And they had fallen into complacency and indifference. I don't know if they even asked the question. But let me circle now back to our introduction. Where do we find meaning in this world? See, the people at the time of Noah, if you threw that question at them, where would those people find it? They were finding it in eating and drinking, even in marriage and given in marriage. That was normal life. Life was going on, and they were indifferent to the flood coming. See, that's the warning that Jesus has for us. Let let me put a statement up on the screen just so you hear it and see it here. Followers of Christ fall into indifference and complacency when they find meaning in the things of this world rather than Christ. Where do we find meaning in our lives? I want to just give you a brief text here. We want to look at it because it's no better example, I think, in all of Scripture of a passage that really answers that question, where do we define meaning? And it is an example. Look at Philippians chapter 1, verse 20. Paul writes here to the church at Philippi, I eagerly expect and hope that I will be in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body whether by life or by death. And look at verse 21. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. That was Paul's meaning. If I'm going to go on living in this body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you. Now catch this. For you, for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you, again, your boasting in Christ will be a bound and an account of me. But did he catch that ultimate meaning of Paul's life? To me, for me to live is Christ. And it's demonstrated... In verse 25, 
I will continue with all of you for your progress. See, Paul knows that the purpose of his life to be centered in Christ means that it's not just about him and Jesus, but he's also looking around at people and saying, I'm going to present you complete in Christ. I'm going to help other people, help them become to a place, come to a place where their meaning is found in Christ as well. It's, it was to help others to know and to, for me to live as Christ, that they would adopt that understanding as well. But don't we have to admit that it's easy to become indifferent rather than to be like a Paul for me to live as Christ? Let me just make some statements. For me to live as the Vikings. Are they going to lose tonight? Not sure. For me to live is to work to get money to play on the weekend with all my toys. For me to live is my children's activities. For me to live is my children. For me to live is my marriage. For me to live is my grandchildren. For me to live is deer hunting or fishing or hockey or sports or whatever, if you can fill in the blank there. For me to live is success and money. You see, the reality is that the quest for meaning can be filled with nothing to do with Jesus. And folks, I'm not talking about the world in the sense of those that, that aren't followers of Christ. I'm talking about the church itself. That we can have a meaning that's not rooted in Jesus. Parents, let me just ask you a question. If your kids... Filled in the blank, my dad's purpose in life, meaning in life, is fill in the blank. What would your kids say? What would they, would they write in about you? Mom, if they did that for you. Mom's purpose in life, meaning in life, is what? See, indifference and complacency really is easy to justify because we can do it like this. You know what? I read my Bible. I go to church. I'm not committing some big moral sin. And we can justify it by doing those things. But that does not mean that our true meaning in life is centered around Jesus. I think of relationships in general, you think of it, God and us, but think of a marriage even. Folks, if complacency and indifference falls into a, a marriage relationship, it will always start sliding down and it will eventually become a poison that will poison that relationship. Any kind of indifference and complacency, it will hurt. And that's true with our relationship with Christ. But there's a second one, I believe, as well, that how we need to live differently. Number two, we need to stay away from a pessimistic and a bunker attitude. And we can default to, oh, this world is getting so bad. I'm just going to go to my house, bundle up my kids and my grandkids, and we're just going to build a wall, and we're, not gonna, we're just going to avoid everybody out there. 
we become pessimists. L let me show you a, a verse that's the opposite of that. And it's actually chapter 2 of Philippians where Paul writes. Look at how he does. This is the message. This is, he, he states this really, really well. Do everything readily and cheerfully. No bickering, no second guessing allowed. Go out into the world uncorrupted, a breath of fresh air in this squalid and polluted society. Provide people with a glimpse of good living and of the living God. Carry the light-giving message into the nights so I have good cause to be proud of you on the day that Christ returns. You'll be living proof that I didn't go to all this work for nothing. See, for me to live as Christ says that we become lights in a world that's getting darker and darker and understand that's an opportunity. When the world gets darker, the opportunities actually get more and more and in greater degrees as we go into the world and we become a light. You know, the darker it gets, the light, any kind of a light actually becomes brighter. It becomes more attractive. And again, let me just go after your parents for a second. Help your children understand. I believe one of those pieces to keeping them walking toward a faith when they get older is that they must have a purpose beyond just, I'm getting to heaven. I'm just a nice Christian kid. They need to come to that place where they see themselves as influencers, as lights into their world with their friends. Help your children become influencers. That's the call on their life as well. Let me keep going. Look, at there's another one, number three. Jesus wants us to bear fruit with power to say no to sin and to say yes to righteousness. It's about living differently in this world. Look at a verse on this, Titus 2.11. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all the people. He was, he was writing that, pointing back to the cross. But it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age while we wait. There he's pointing toward, do this because now Jesus is coming home while we're waiting for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Bear fruit. Say no to sin. Say yes to righteousness. Let me give you another one, four, number four here. Jesus also invites us to find meaning in work that is first about kingdom work. See, if you earn a living and your work now gives you the most meaning in your life and it gives far more meaning than kingdom work, Houston, we got a problem. See, see, hear this. Now, you got to be careful here, even when I say that, because this, it might be that your work needs to become the kingdom work. And it can. And it doesn't have to be about just earning a living. It's what does God want to use you in your workplace even right now. But look at a passage that fits with this. 1 Corinthians 15, 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at that last trumpet. Again, it's looking to the future here. 
For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. Verse 56, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, because what God, what he did on the cross, what Jesus did on the cross, and in light of him coming, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, abounding in the work of the kingdom knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. As we work within the kingdom, he's preparing this world for his return coming back. Because Jesus is coming back, we are called to live intentionally, not becoming passive and content with our current life, working within the kingdom of God. But there's another piece as well. And this comes, I'm going to read the passage first. It comes from when Paul penned Timothy, a young man that he loved, that he was mentoring. Look at 1 Timothy 6.10. Some warnings here. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith. And there's the, the meaning through money there. And pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, Timothy, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus, who is his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commitment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's how I stated it. Number five, Jesus calls us to a faith-filled and a steadfast life. The good fight of faith. Keep that commandment. Now, the commandment wasn't referring to the law here. It was all these directives that, that Paul had been talking to in this letter with Timothy. And he summar, the summary of that would be, Timothy, keep walking toward Christ. Keep your faith moving toward Christ. Be steadfast. Don't allow the ups and downs of a faith. Keep moving toward Jesus and bring others with you in that process. Is that us? Is that part of our purpose in life? To have a faith-filled life where we're trusting God and a steadfast life. But let me go after the last one here. I want to read the text again first out of Hebrews chapter 10. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together as in the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more, and here it comes again, as you see the day drawing near. Jesus is coming back. Now live intentionally here. I, I state it this way, number six for the notes. Because Jesus is coming back, we are to be the church. Not just to do church, not just to go to church. See, the being the church is more than just gathering in a place, sitting in rows on a Sunday morning. See, that key really is the issue of together. 
if we're not together, how do you encourage one another? If, if relationships aren't going deeper, how do we present each other complete in Christ? How do we use the gifts that God has given us to build up the body, to represent Christ to this world, to be equipped to do that? How do we fulfill all the one another's in Scripture? Do you realize there's something like 36 one another's you can pull out of Scripture? How do you do that if we don't do life together? If we're not in relationship with each other? See, we can go from a church to our home and not fulfill this command. But here's where we got to come back and say, the key is, can we fall into complacency where we begin to ignore all of these pieces? Or is it indifference even? And that's the, I think it's even strong. Indifference is stronger than complacency. It will move us away from Christ. But understand, these warnings again, they're to the disciples. It's not for the world out there. It's for all of those who claim to be followers of Jesus. Be careful. Stay awake. But in doing so, we're lights in our community. We live lives intentionally. Our meaning is working within the kingdom of God. We're looking to influence other people. Is that us as followers of Jesus? To end here, just to throw you back to that question. And, and here's what I'd love to do. Just ponder it sometime. Maybe ask your kids. Okay, ask that question of your kids. What do they see in you when it comes to that where is meaning found in my life? But I think it would be worth it for us this week just to ponder that question, God, is my meaning found in you? Or is it found in distractions all around us? We need to allow the Holy Spirit to penetrate us, to look deep within us, to move us away from indifference and apathy. Do that this week. Let's stand and pray.